All right, welcome to episode 200, guys. Woo! 200. 200. I forgot. Party poppers or whatever you've got on hand, fellas, <laughs> uh, because we are episode 200. Uh, I've had two weeks off. Thank you very much uh, for allowing me to have that PTO for the first time in three years. I really appreciate that. Um, and we are recording just, what, seconds <laughs> after the final whistle at the Amex. Um, how are we feeling? Oh, you got you got to say good after that, don't you? Uh, that that second half started to yeah make me f- sort of forget while I enjoyed football, uh, and then at the end, our uh, I, just, I don't I don't I've run out of superlatives from it. I uh, that finish that composure just just incredible. What a player and that changes the whole god you imagine how annoying i've been to go to anfield and have to replay this thing and lose one nil at anfield this is this could have changed the whole season so i'm feeling good it's a short answer yeah yeah couldn't have said it better myself to be honest um yeah just sort of those just desserts as well i'm sure we'll get into the officiating but um but yeah it felt it felt especially good after that as well so uh yeah happy with that yeah, we will definitely get into officiating uh, at some point because it was absolutely horrendous. Um, but before we get to the game, uh, there's been a lot going on this week. Uh, we're obviously feeling really good right now. Um, and it seems that no matter what player decides they no longer want to be here, uh, we continue to feel good about things under Roberto De Zerbi, uh, and Potter before him. Um, whenever people go, we seem to somehow level up. Um, let's talk Moises Caicedo first, uh, real quick. Uh, I feel like there's a lot been said. I know you guys had your podcast last week with uh, Ben Jacobs on, uh, for better or worse. Some people really didn't like it. Some people loved it and felt nothing at all. So that was a good one. Um, but uh, how are we feeling about the Moises Caicedo situation this week? Uh, I think it was mon- Monday, Tuesday. He said he was really happy uh, with the Albion really focused, everything like that. And I believe it was, I believe that was the Monday and the Wednesday his new agency took over uh, as his new set of agents, football, someone. Um, And within two days, uh, he has posted an Instagram post himself uh, about wanting to leave. Um, How how are we feeling about it? He's been told to stay away. Um, We've done that before. Elliot Bennett, Dale Stevens, Lewis Dunk himself. I remember being... When he was kept in the crowd watching the game uh, because we refused to let him play because he wanted to move to Fulham. Um, and quite a fair few have come after that as well. Basuma, just last January, um, we kind of kept him out of harm's way, didn't we, for a while there? Uh, how are we feeling? Uh, it's not unknown territory for us, um, but we are on the cusp of our greatest ever season in 124 years of existing. So what's the, what's the feeling at together BHA HQ? Uh, well, I, I'll go out on a limb and say that we have been blessed with the benefit of having some incredible players join this club in recent memory. Um, and the club and the staff that's continued to evolve and change has managed to then continue to grow and, and, and improve and create these players beyond what they ever were before. So much so that 
I'll just go out and say this with with that I know the questions about Caicedo, but what we've seen so far from this year from Matoma, he looks to be the best of them all. And that for me means that there could be 10 players that stand up tomorrow and say, we want to go to our dream moves to insert random storied English club here. And I just, I just go to myself. All right, fine. Let's continue. Let's move on. Let's, let's repeat the process. So Caicedo, uh, I think his, his agents, his new agents have come in. They want to make a splash. They've, he's clearly brought them in to, to try and get him this move. Uh, I think it's a bit of a strop. I don't think he goes. Uh, and if he does, I think he goes. Well, he's going to go in the summer, right? That Hopefully we can push to that and he helps guide us to to European football for the remainder of the year. But uh, I don't know. Matoma is the one. As long as someone doesn't come in with 120 million bid in the next three days or two days or whatever we've got left, uh, the, the rest is gravy. Don't even need to speak that into existence, do we? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're, we're all sort of aligned or of the same ilk, really, is, you know, it, for me, it's definitely the agents trying to grab a little a move. And it just it doesn't sound like and I think, Josh, as you said, just done a full 180 from Monday to Friday just seems a bit outrageous to me. Um, and it, it feels like his hands forced a little bit. Uh I mean, we'll see. I personally, I do think he stays as well. Um, it'll be tough. Uh, I think for those of a nervous disposition, I think you stay off Twitter until the first. But uh, yeah, it, if he stays, I think it's good for everyone. I think it's clear that we would let him go in the summer. So I think that's really that, and that's always been the communication, right? Is you stick with us until the end of the season we do as well as we can and and you get your dream move then at the age of 21 still um so i there's not really too much more that needs to be said um we can go into agents we can go into um just different agencies and and different people online looking at you romano around just sort of pushing an agenda and trying to get this this weird move um but I hope he stays. I think he does stay. He helps us push for a, a best ever finish and, and he goes in the summer. I think, you know, it's going to be very hard to play poker with Tony Bloom as, as we've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah, uh, he's currently undefeated, I think, isn't he? Um, uh, Elliot Bennett actually tweeted just yesterday uh, that he's going to have a real sad awakening uh, because he went to war with Tony um, and lost quite badly. <laughs> uh, and then he did go on to have one of his best half seasons ever for us and then went and got his move to Norwich and went from there. So it has precedent. Uh, Donkey did the same thing and he's still here. Dale Stevens did the same thing and that was the biggest gamble of all, I think, with you know such little time left on his contract. Uh, and Tony Bloom stuck to his guns. Um, if you're if you're willing to do that in a division where you're losing money every single year, uh, I, you know, I don't think that Tony's in any position to move today. He he doesn't need that money. Like the amount of money we've made in transfers in the last two years, like we we don't need a hundred million pounds. Even if they come in with a hundred million, like I think we'll take it if we did it. But we don't need that money. Like we needed it two years ago, um, and I think that this is possibly the worst time for Moises to come out and try this game uh, because we've never had a more stacked hand. Well, all of this is, it's just, it's all about timing, right? Because I think we all understand as, as fans of this club that um, Mitoma, McAllister, uh, Caicedo, 
keep going on the list. All of these players will leave the club at some point. Um, probably during pre before their prime or, or during their prime. That's a that's a new news that you've you've introduced, Josh. Um, that's a new feature of the podcast that we add. When you make an interesting point, we we ring a buzzer. Um, but they're all going to leave the club at some point. But it's more about this 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 situation we've got into where it's the the pace, the speed of the outgoings, and we've not then been able to fill up. You probably saw during the game we finalised the signing of Yasin Ayari from from Sweden, ninety years old, right? Something like that. Um, it's all well and good. Like our structure works perfectly, providing we don't lose all of the good players in one season. Um, and that's that's the situation here, right? I, I, um, I think we'd all wave Caicedo a, a great farewell if he if he heads off for seventy five, eight million pounds in the summer. Just don't play acts now because we're this is a nice like symbiotic relationship that this club creates. You could you move out from your from your club at a young age where you're you're getting paid nothing. You come to the Premier League. You put on an ama- amazing show of performances. The club elevates itself because of you. You elevate yourself from the club, but you leave on the club's terms. So everyone benefits. You get your move to the the, the, the great storied franchise or club that you want to go to, and Brighton continue to then improve and, and, and don't capitulate because of you leaving. And that's the issue that we have here. Caicedo is trying to hold the club to ransom. And it won't work. When he leaves, he'll he'll leave because we want him to go. Tony Bloom wants him to go because he thinks the money is right and the time is right. Yeah, and you're right. It's it's the rate of output, isn't it? In how many people and that the the layers of talent that we have. I think that's what they said on the commentary. I'm just stealing it from there. But like, you, there's a ready-made replacement for when Tony Bloom wants them to go, and that's absolutely fine. And we're we're used to that. And I think it's just when you lose so many. Uh, I guess so many players in this short period of time is where you see this sort of lack of depth that we're seeing, um, especially in that centre midfield. Uh, so, yeah, I, and I think for those that did watch the game, and we will go on to the game in a bit, um, there was a little bit of a hole created by by that one Moises Caicedo where we could have just had a much stronger foothold in that game. So, you know, there's no kidding ourselves either just how important this person is and, and how important this player is to the team. But we need a ready-made replacement and we don't have that yet. So ipso facto, I, I don't think he's going to go uh, and he'll go in the summer once we have one. Uh, at least that's that's the hope for, for all of us, right? And, uh, and Joe, I know you're going to jump in, Josh, but let, let's, let's be honest here as well. We've just beaten Liverpool twice in the space of two weeks, fairly handily. And... You, your superstar just just closed out the game in an f- incredible fashion, despite all of the silly officiating, the fact that Liverpool tried to scythe down half of our team and, 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 and you know, put them out with ACL tears for about six, seven months. Like, it, if he leaves, you have 250 million quid in the bank, there or thereabouts, over the space of what came in in the summer and this. Like, yes, we're not getting relegated this season. Would it potentially impact a, a run to Europe? Maybe, but I'd argue that we still have enough, barring any horrific injuries, to still do what we're doing on a regular basis. Like, it, we're, we're looking great, and that's without this guy in the team. Does he make us better? Yes. Does he destroy the season if he walks out tomorrow? I don't think he destroys it. And then we've got a spending spree coming down in the very near term, which would be exciting in and of itself. Yeah. Um, why, why does why does my gut tell me that we're going to make Europe and he'll sign a new deal? 
Uh, Would it shock you? It wouldn't shock me. He just feels like the Dale Stevens thing all over again. I don't see it. His agents will be pushing next January, even if it happened. He'll be back at it. Well, yeah, his agents have got to make their money, right? They've they've probably come into this with the full understanding that they're going to walk away with a bundle of cash in the next six to 12 months, right? Um, He's also their best player by a country mile. It's him and Hincapi, and that's it. Right. They're going to make them any money. And the old club gets, what's, what's the numbers being thrown around? It's 20% of, of the sell-on, um, which would be, well, game-changing for them. Um, but... I think he goes. I just don't want him to go right now. Uh, but who cares when you've got the best best player in the world, uh, Mitoma? Yeah, let's, let's talk about the best <laughs> player in the world. Uh, Stephen Mitchell in the chat asks if Mitoma is the best player in the world at the moment. The obvious answer is yes. Uh, Stephen's on a bit of a heater in here as well. He's made a comment down there that I had to go on mute for and laugh. Um, so uh, Jay in the chat, uh, world class from Mitoma and Purpose, just loved it. Uh, Luke as well. Uh, we could sell... Uh, Moises for 90 million, what will someone offer for Mitoma uh, with the level he's playing at? Uh, his agents were trying for one, two million pound plus payout. Agents all said and done at all business. And that's obviously absolutely right. We've just kind of touched on that as well. Uh, Pels fan, what's up, guys? First time I'm able to watch live. Welcome. Welcome, Pels fan. Uh, good timing. You picked a good one to cruise in on live. Um, Let's have a look. We've got a lot of comments. Uh, Hughes, Brighton, always feels sweet with a last-minute winner, but even after some awful decisions, uh, even more so after some awful decisions, Ref didn't have to do too much overall, but McAllister being fouled when through on goal. Fabinho's awful challenge, and we'll talk about that and what that looks like for Ferguson going forward. Um, and then Robertson with that disgusting challenge as well that didn't even get looked at. Um, yeah, it was absolutely mental. Um, Stephen... Uh, anybody listening with their kids in the car or whatever, we're going to ask that you just like skip the next 12 seconds. Uh, Stephen on Moises Caicedo just reminds us that we've got to remember that he is still young. He's only 20 years old. Uh, and Stephen at that age was trying to shag his best friend's mum. So, you know, <laughs> there are levels to this. Uh, and Stephen's all over it. Um, and then just a lot of people were very, very, very happy uh, about Mitoma again and again and again. Um, and, you know, Hughes Brighton worried about people circling in the summer for Mitoma. Um, I think it's going to always happen uh, at this point when we're doing what we're doing. Um, but I'm not too worried about what the summer looks like. Uh, I've got uh, some breaking um, news, by the way. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Josh. From, from yeah, no the, go. The fraud Romano himself. Uh, as we speak, Arsenal have not submitted a new bid. So brilliant but understand the club are discussing internally about a new proposal for 70 million pounds package with add-ons included. Uh, and then goes on to say Brighton insist on no intention to sell, not for that money. So um, basically there's no news. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got to get his mandatory tweet out to, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, to the AFC and CFC hashtags. So I get it. He's um, got advertisers now and he's doing a live stream on transfer deadline day. So he's got to get the, get the numbers in. Yep. Um, all right, let's talk uh, Brighton and Albion against Liverpool. Uh, we quite enjoy playing Liverpool at home as of late. Uh, you know, what, two weeks ago almost to the day, uh, we popped three past them. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold was probably not excited about making the trip back down to the south coast. 
um, and every single worry he may have had was proven to be absolutely true <laughs> um, <laughs> because we watched another 90, well, 60-odd minutes of Trent being rinsed uh, and then him looking very sad on the bench afterwards. Um, but what were we thinking about that lineup? Uh, obviously, Steele came in, uh, the classic kind of cup goalkeeper coming in. Uh, Welbeck's got the start. Ferguson also in there. Webster, Lamptey, a pretty changed back line. Uh, how did you feel about everything before the game kicked off? Because Liverpool fielded a very strong side, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Steely is the keeper. Is, is fine. I think Webster and Lamptey were the two changes. That was what I was most worried about. I think there was a little bit of a rust there from, from Webster. But the main thing was just having two strikers on. And I thought, I, I don't really know how we're going to line up or, or what this is going to look like. Um, and it, yeah, we'll, we'll get into what the first half looked like, but it, it didn't look great. Um, but sort of well back and they've got it as this sort of false nine, but it was pretty much two strikers. That that was my main thing was we're actually changing up how we're going to play. Um, but otherwise I think that's probably apart from Sanchez and either Colwell coming in, I think that's probably your, your best lineup, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I didn't see too much wrong with it. I thought it was actually a little bit stronger than I was expecting. I was very surprised about the two up top and also sort of surprised how it, it developed in the game because at certain periods of time, it felt like we were playing like a 4-2-4. Um, sometimes it felt like they dropped back a bit and then the wingers pushed up and it was sort of a 4-4-2. It was, it was a weird sort of fluid system, but clearly Deserby was trying to get take his 4-2-3-1 and then just fudge a second striker in there to sort of be able to drop back. And what we saw was like massive dropping in deep from Ferguson and Welbeck. And it was a, that's why that game was so bizarre at the start because Liverpool were fairly open. We were playing slightly different in terms of how we were set up. And, and we had this kind of weird back and forth for quite a while. Um, the, I, I like seeing Lamptey, as you mentioned, uh, fairly surprising in a sense that you would imagine that, that he plays Veltman there. He seems to really not want to play Veltman at right back. I don't know if you've noticed that, but this is the, this is Tarek Lamptey, who, by the way, was nearly on a plane to Lisbon. Um, and it sounds like that deal fell apart where the clubs wanted a loan and, and we supposedly were asking for a permanent transfer, which is fairly surprising in, in and of itself. Uh, that we would just get rid of Lamptey this this quickly. And here he is, starting against Liverpool in the FA Cup, a very, very important game. So, yeah, interesting lineup. Unmute myself would be good before I start speaking. Uh, yes, <laughs> um, it did It did look at times like they were obviously asking Welbeck and Ferguson to, to move in and around, you know, that midfield role. Um, I thought that... They were obviously hoping that McAllister was going to take Caicedo's role and Gross was going to take McAllister's role. Uh, but we we really missed him. Um, and that first 30 minutes was unhinged. Unhinged football from, the, from start to finish. Uh, the commentators said at one point, I think it was like seven or eight minutes in, they said it feels like the last six minutes, not the first six minutes. Uh, and I think that's a really good like descriptor of what that first 30 ended up looking like. Um, it was just absolute madness, wasn't it? Just proper... Slobber knocker back to like back to back and forth football. Um, before Harvey Elliott finally got the first goal, um, that really felt like it was coming, didn't it? Uh, that 4 2 4 that you're talking about, um, it felt like 
we paid the price uh, for having uh, an entire right-hand side that were kind of just thrust into the the middle of it with Lamptey and Webster and Steele in goal. Um, it all just felt a little bit makeshift. Um, and the defending was just absolutely horrendous, wasn't it, for that first half an hour? Uh, it did improve in that second half, but for the first part, holy shit, it was bad, wasn't it? It was just... It was a case of whether it was going to be 3-3-7-7. It just looked absolutely madness. And and once the goal went in, you know, you thought, oh, boy, if we get caught on the counter here, which we'll be prone for, this could get really messy really quick. And that's what it was, wasn't it? Like, just for the first goal was it's very open in the middle. It was all very to-and-fro, end-to-end stuff. And I think uh, Dunk is good. Obviously, Dunk is always good. But I think just probably... Over overdid it um, in trying to win the ball back and sort of left us susceptible at the back. And like you said, with a and um, sort of I guess the subs in with with Webster and Lamptey, there's just there was a, a little bit too much there. And yeah, we get we get hit on on the counter, which is I mean I know we're we're kind of used to that from last year, but we're not used to it recently. Um, we tend to just control the game from the back, so uh, very uncharacteristic of us. Um, but yeah, it, trying and. I, like Adam said, trying a new system or, or trying to switch things up and, and see different ways that we can play. Uh, that, that was always always a potential to, to happen. Um, it's just a shame that it, it did, but good, good job that we sort of bounced back as, as quickly as we did as well. I'm so confused with Lewis Dunk's game today. I It was, at times he looked incredible and other times you thought to yourself, I've got no idea. The first few minutes, in fact, he looked great. And as you mentioned, for, for their first goal, just a horrible like gamble that he made to push forward onto Mohamed Salah. And I don't know if that always catches us out, but given that you've got three guys, basically, I'm, I'm removing Estupinion from this equation, but you've got Dunk, who hasn't really properly lined up with Adam Webster on a regular basis for a very long time. You've got Tarek Lamptey, who... Maybe my memory's just really bad, which is probably true, but hasn't started a game with with those two uh, for, for a long time. So you've got this fairly makeshift defence and they looked like they had not played with one another for a while. And it's so much so that you saw Adam Webster get got he's, he's off at half time right so it was a it was a weird ramshackle group of players that previously which funny enough right not a, not too long ago this group of players were your your stop this was your starting group these were the ones you were most comfortable with and now we look at it and i go to myself watching that first 45 minutes call you know what i miss levi colwell and uh, uh do i sort of miss pascal gross at playing right back like i can't believe this these were the thoughts running through my head but more broadly, like this tank, we should dig into the stats on this. I'm Josh. I'm sure I'm, I'm probably stealing your thunder. But the guy had 120 touches in this game. The closest second was Estupinion on 87, and he had three shots, two on target, and a pass record of 92 percent. Lewis Dunk's stat line is basically that of a, sort of a central attacking midfielder in this game. Really weird. I think that was well. the uh, yeah. I was gonna say and a goal. I was gonna say put some respect <laughs> on his name. One hundred percent intentional. Like there was no way he didn't mean to do that. Um, once that goal went in, the first one. Uh, from then on, it's a different prospect all the way through. Uh, Brighton then dominated possession. The game settled down, and Liverpool 
did what Liverpool have never really ever done before this season. They started to sit back and and go in, not go into their shell because they were perfectly happy hitting us on the counter attack when they could. But you could see the pendulum swing, and they just kind of lost a little bit of momentum, didn't they? Um, and at that point, you thought, okay, well, this could be a good end to the half. And less than nine minutes later, uh, we get a corner, which we're famous for scoring from, uh, as you all know. Um, and within you know two passes of it, Tarek Lamptey absolutely missiles the ball in, um, which I think was going on target and I think would have been required a good save from Allison if it had found its way all the way through everybody. Uh, but it didn't. Uh, it careened off of Lewis Dunk, who tried to get out of the way, failed miserably, and ended up putting it into the back of the net with absolute worldy, uh, and just sent Allison off the other way. Um, so how do we, you know, we we score from the corner? Uh, it's all Albion at that point. We're majorly in the ascendancy, um, and then we head off to half time feeling a lot better about it than than I think we would have. Um, but one of the big highlights of that half was. The, the aforementioned Mitoma just bullying Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, and it really felt like at any opportunity, uh, he and Salah could have scored about four each in that first half. Yeah, I, it was the, the first half was weird because we're not used to that sort of end-to-end, punch-for-punch type deal. And I think it did stop once they scored. It was like, right, let's take this now and and sort of just play our game. Uh and, and sort of reverted the type as you like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we we can spend as much time as we want on Matoma and his ability. I think it is a form of bullying slash harassment at this point. So it, it is a bit, it's, it is funny, but just for us. And I just getting hauled off on the hour mark gives me Dan Harding vibes. Um, it, it was just, it was great to see. And I think, He's so good. We'll, we'll speak about, obviously, the goal as well. But he, his ability one-on-one, and I, I don't know why they let him go one-on-one. Uh, I think you'd, you'd like to think you'd double-team at every opportunity. But I guess that's the quality that we have in this squad, is that if you double-team on him, then you leave McAllister and everyone else free. So uh, it's I don't know why they took the risk. I don't know why <laughs> they, let it, they let it happen to him. But, um, God, it's just so fun to watch. I, I think just real quick. I think that yeah. we. Pro- I, I think that some teams probably would be happier to, do- or all teams would be happier to double team if we were playing someone like Veltman behind him. That when you have Estepinion, who's quite happy just playing as a winger, if you want. <laughs> I think that makes people shit their pants a little bit more as well. Yeah, I think that's that's true. That's part of the problem for everybody because if they leave him, we've seen Estepinion can is perfectly happy marauding into the box and. He has a nasty, like low drilled ball that is just a big problem causer. Well, we saw that we saw that recently, right? Got us a winner in what game was that? Can't even remember which one at this point. But uh, yeah, he's, as you say, completely comfortable. Uh, the the Matoma thing is what's so unbelievable about him is the fact that it's not just one aspect. He's not just a, a, a pace merchant. Which I think we would have been easy to just first few games. You could have said, "Oh, I just you bring him on sixty minutes into a game." Because this was the thinking, right? Earlier in the season, oh no, Matoma is a good game changer. You bring him on tired legs at the back, and he beats a man. But turns out, actually, he's got an incredible shot on him. His first touch in control, because I think a ball was played into him late in the second half, and it was some horrendous pass from Tarrant Lamptey potentially that that was a rocket, and he just like gently controlled it 
And in a perfect way that he just led himself into a second touch, which everyone else, if that, okay, I just flashbacks like Mopay, it just would have bounced off his shin. Um, it's, it's dribbling, it's shooting, it's it's the first touch. He's He feels like a complete player, which I can't believe I'm saying about someone who really was, he was playing in the Belgian league not that long ago, right? And we were like, oh, maybe he could do a job for us, hopefully. Um, the when the When the sort of goal went in, which was fairly funny in and of itself, right? Because if you think about the 11 players that we are playing, the last person I think I want to take a shot from outside the box is Tarek Lamptey. And the last person I want to get the touch on that in the opposition box is Lewis Dunk. Uh, but there we go. They all count. But the game shifted properly after that when Liverpool made those subs in the second half. And we we brought Veltman in for, for Webster, who clearly isn't there. And they made this switch where they basically started to flood the midfield uh, and, and Arnold went off and that then put it into a tricky position where suddenly we felt like we were on the back foot. But Trent looked like a guy, you know, those groups that would come down for stag dues on Saturday nights to Brighton. They still do, I'm sure. He looked like one of them the Sunday morning. That, that was the face he had. He looked like he had a big old night out and he'd been absolutely ravaged. And he's like, I just want to go home. <laughs> that was what Trent looked like. Except he never wanted to be there in the first place. It was a stag <laughs> for like his like his future brother-in-law that he yeah. doesn't even like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was it was brutal. The poor lad. Um, Adam Webster, though, uh, what a fall from grace for him. This time last year, Brighton fans were calling for an England call-up, and it was not just Brighton fans. Uh, I think it really started due to the media bringing it up more than anyone. I think I think they started it before the, the fans did. Um, there were numerous outlets uh, over here in the UK that were all talking about Adam Webster being a person that they would like to see get called up. Um, and it just seems like he is a player that has just been constantly hampered by injuries, doesn't it? Like whenever he seems to be picking up a head of steam, even if he'll play 20 games in a row, and he gets to the point where people are talking about an England call-up, you don't see him again for four months because he does a calf injury or a chin injury or something random, like some random injury that puts him out for a long amount of time. Um, and, you know, it it sucks because he's one of the younger defenders, not young, but younger than what we've got for the most part. And Veltman comes in and looks much better. And the team look a lot less susceptible to that wide open attack that we were just conceding attack after attack after attack in the first half. It's, I don't know, we're, the, the rumours are that we're well in the mix for that Ukrainian, the Shakhtar centre-back. Um, obviously, De Zerbi is is passionate about that. We spoke about this probably being one of his first ports of call. Um, if there ever is a centre-back that is going to lose from this deal, it's quite clearly Adam Webster at this point, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it, and it's a shame. I think he does have some injury problems and, and tends to, as soon as he gets up ahead of steam, he then picks up a niggly injury or something sort of happens. Um, I, I feel bad for the guy. I mean, we, we know he's talented. We know how good he is. It's just he gets up a run of form and then something happens. Um, but you're right. I think given the forced inconsistency, if you like, or, or just, I don't know, after 45 minutes today, whether he was just, you know, he's still running back to fitness. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he was uh, being 
sort of playing every game, I'm, I'm sure we'd be still talking about how good he is. And uh, once you get a run of games, especially at centre-back, your pairing is so important. So it, it is a shame. And I think you're right, is that any sort of centre-back that comes in or any defender that comes in, I think Webster's probably the first one that it's going to impact. The rumoured right, England defence from about a year, year and a half ago is essentially cursed though, right? Because it's, oh yeah, play Ben Chilwell, Reese James or Trent with Maguire, with Adam Webster. Now look at all of those players, like horrendous injuries for a few of them. Maguire's like trying to be flogged off to some what, West Ham or something. Uh, Webster's fallen off a cliff. It, it's unfortunate, but yeah, you mentioned Matt Vienko from Shakhtar. Um, there's a there's a reason this is the priority strengthening position, right? We don't have Colwell after this summer. There's no way we get we get him. It, this has worked out perfectly for Chelsea, right? You loaned him out. He looks incredible. They just bring him back and then either put him straight in the first team or sell him for a fortune way above what we'd be willing to pay. I don't think Deserby realistically wants to play Veltman as a as a right sided centre back. He suits really nicely as the right in a back three. Um, and as a as a change of pace as the right back, um, but right now you you don't have any enough options, um, and I don't think Van Hecker will necessarily be here. We bring in another centre back, and he'll be out on loan. It's tricky for Webster, but um, clearly can't be relied about lo- relied on long term. And if we don't bring in someone now, it does worry you, doesn't it? Uh, how long is Cobbles up for another three to four weeks? Van Hecker isn't quite there suddenly you're one more injury away from thinking, oh God, is, is it's time for Pascal Gross just to, to suddenly try our centre-back. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, Bob Sanchez, still was good today. Get Sanchez at centre-back, big lad. Good with his ball. Do a job. Yeah. yeah. We've seen some of the challenges he makes, a bit erratic, but, you know, could do a job. <laughs> Um, second half comes around as you say uh, that one comes on the three substitutions actually really changed everything in our favour um, Liverpool only ended up with one shot at all in the second half uh, and it showed didn't it it was quite boring I know I said that text to you both I thought it was just that first kind of 25 minutes of the second half was just dull um, really crap football from everybody involved um, and then all of a sudden uh, the <laughs> The, the paper is lit uh, with that tackle uh, from Kadate, I believe it was, uh, first on McAllister. Um, and then from then on, there's about three red cards that could have been given out in the space of 10 minutes. Um, let's just talk all of them together. Uh, Kanate, last man, just brutalizes McAllister. Um, it's a foul. I think every commentator is on there confirming they believe it's a foul as well. Uh, everybody's assuming something's going to happen. Uh, VAR doesn't even check it. Um, now, I don't know if I don't know the rules, but I've seen red card VAR reviews a lot. Is it only for like serious foul play that they can review outside the box and not last man challenges? Because to me, like that, that should have been checked immediately, right? Like that's a last man and it is a tackle and it is a foul and it is there, therefore a red card and a one match ban and, you know, all that good stuff. And it doesn't even get looked at. So I don't understand what I'm missing there. Uh, the second one was Fabinho. I can't remember the name. Fabinho, uh, yeah. 
absolutely brutal Ferguson back of the Achilles. Like that, that could be him for the season. Yeah, he, he walked off. He didn't look that good. Could be it. it didn't look good. Like, and they they checked that, and they were happy with the yellow. VAR checked that one, and they said, "Yep, it's a yellow card offense." Fabinho knew that was a red as well. Just the the reaction as well from him. He knew that that was a high likelihood, and yeah, it's still not given. It's just it ridiculous to be honest. And then what? Sixty five seconds later, Robertson uh, just stamps down the front of uh, McAllister again, and I mean that's a yellow at minimum. Uh, and that could, I mean, that was an orange card challenge as well, wasn't it? Like the, it's just, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, it felt very karmic, didn't it? Very much uh, karmic justice to then go ahead and score right at the death. Um, but those ta- that refereeing was just a clown show today. What what on earth were they thinking? Stop us if you've heard that before. Yeah. I, the, in addition to the Andy Naylor swear jar, I think we need a, we need a refereeing VAR swear jar as well. And frankly, we donated to a charity. That charity is going to be incredibly well off from this this podcast, I would think, based on how often we talk about these subjects. But um, I this is one of those games where I wish I could have teleported and been there because and, – and, and Art Twitch Temper brought this up as well. I haven't felt such justice in football since my pay lobbed the time-wasting palace keeper. This is one of those ones where you just felt aggrieved for so long during that game, especially towards the end, where that that release, that karma that you talked about, is just well, it's just orgasmic in some ways, isn't it? Don't forget that the Liverpool goal, by the way, uh, there was a handball there. There was a handball, uh, and that shouldn't have been a goal to start with. So we got screwed over there, uh, and then as you mentioned, like there's. I also don't know the letter of the law or the Canate challenge, but the guy shoved him in the head, sort of, sort of a um, scumbag punch in the back of the neck. I'd say it's <laughs> like, a club in the neck, wasn't it? It was down for ages, and he wasn't. It wasn't faking that. He had to get proper, like they had to check him for a concussion. So, on what planet does that not get looked at by someone to go? You know what? Actually, um, he did sort of assault that player. Uh, and it was a one-on-one situation with a keeper outside of that, which then technically means it should have been a sending off. The guy was already on a yellow card, and then we just the, the ref just goes, you know what? No, let's 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 keep going. Um, you, think that, you think that's why he didn't give it because he was already on the yellow? He would have. I think when that, which case is a bloody coward, then isn't he? Like just do, do well, your job. Uh, I, and the other ones, like you, I think you could probably make an argument that uh, Fabinho's challenge was horrific, but you could technically then say that. Could you argue it, it was a yellow card? Yeah, you could argue it was a yellow card. And that's probably why they didn't say, hold on, it was a clear and obvious error. That That's violent foul play and, and, and should be a red card. And the same with the, the Robertson one. But for me, the Canate one was the one where I just could, I couldn't believe it. I think, yeah, I, I, I didn't think about it in that way. It's just, yeah, I think in terms of the clear and obvious part of VAR is, yeah, I think the, the Robertson and the, the Fabinho one, you can argue either way. But yeah, I, I agree with you. The Canate one is clear and obvious. And again, just awful officiating that we've come to expect that we really shouldn't expect. Yeah, I, d- I think we just need to hope that Ferguson is all right and it's actually just badly bruised or something or another. Uh, but I think we'll be lucky to see him against Bournemouth um, after that. It could, I mean, it could be an end-of-season job with the way like, the way it went in. 
Um, like you said, it didn't look good. So we're just going to have to watch and wait uh, for Deserby to give us some feedback on that. Fingers crossed he's just very sore, has to ice it up, and he'll be back sooner than later. Um, but those sort of challenges can wacky, right? Bad. I thought, uh, Ferguson, I thought Ferguson was very good today in his, in his one-touch play and his ability to link things up. I thought he was, again, excellent today. Doesn't he should have scored. Yeah, should have scored. Um, but just his, his all-round play and being able to drop deep, being asked to do that job and doing it so effectively, I thought he was great. And yeah, let's let's hope it's not too bad. This this is where the the, the run-in, say the run-in, because we've had the delay, it's sort of less a run-in and more the second half of the season. We're on such fine margins where the balance can tip. And we, we've talked, and everyone's talked about Caicedo impacting that balance. Um, if you lose someone like Ferguson, who's come in, and completely sort of change the outlook. Because now, think to yourself, like four weeks ago, this wasn't a conversation. But now you think about Ferguson. All right, if he's out for the rest of the season, you panic. Because you go, God, I'll tell you what, outside of that one stunning goal that Welbeck scored, he's been absolutely drab this season. Um, we've got rid of Trossard. And have, no, 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 no. You suddenly panic. Uh, and, and that's all it takes. One silly little challenge from a player that come off the bench 90 seconds prior could derail what we have and that's the, that's the struggle that we have with with squad depth and you ju- you, you you just praise it right and the fact that we've now changed our thinking to like you know at the, the end of our season in european football may well be contingent on an 18 year old irish lad's shoulders is uh humorous in some ways yeah um i think that depth's gonna have to be addressed in the summer no deserby just said today uh that he has made it very clear to the chairman that he believes that we should have strengthened in several positions this month and did not. Uh, he was very open about it. Um, that's not a manager that is going to stick around if we continue to not work with him in that capacity. Uh, he isn't an idiot. If he knew who Solly March was and had about an eight-page thesis on him before he started with us, he also knows Tony Bloom doesn't like to do business in January. He's not an idiot. I'm sure he knew that. Uh, I'm sure he hoped he could change his mind um, because any manager worth their salt would think that and hope that, right? Like that's absolutely a reasonable thing for him to think. Uh, and I think it's 100% reasonable for him to be disappointed that that's not the case. Uh, but I think this summer we need to back Roberto badly uh, in these positions that he's talking about, whichever ones they are. We've con- we've got a shit ton of conjecture on it all since he came in. We've been talking about where we think he'd be going with those positions. Uh, but he's very clear and very open about it. We we need to go ahead and make those those sign-ins right in the summer because I think if we don't, we've we've finally encountered a manager again for the first time in 12-odd years since Gus Poyet left that will absolutely kick up a stink and will absolutely not take that as a yes sir no sir response uh he is going to tell people exactly what he thinks if and when we do not provide him with what he wants a couple of couple of relevant quotes that have just come in from the, the presser after the game as well i'm, I'm using Naylor and richie mills here as as the, the ones that are pushing this information out deserby said we're very happy with the result we won a difficult game against a very difficult team from the last game liverpool were very strong if we want to talk about the quality of play i didn't like the game we made too many mistakes nola goes on to say there's that high bar again which by the way isn't just on the pitch to to reinforce your point he has a high bar for the players and their performances but also he's going to have a 
high bar for for recruitment. Uh, and then the other quote, which I like, is in football you need blood, heart, and balls. Um, and I'm not sure which balls he's referring to, but I guess you can make an argument for both. Fair. Uh, yeah, he's just going to keep being the way he is. I think we just, I think we just need to hope that we back him. And, and Bloom isn't an idiot, right? We've been very clearly established here. He's a stupidly intelligent person. He's not going to bring in a manager like this and hope to tame him in the same way that you know he he. I I don't think he ever really wanted to get rid of Gus until he did what he did. I think. It was Paul Barber more than anyone that really had big issues with Gus. Uh, but I, I just hope we give him what he needs uh, in, in in the summer, um, whether we make Europe, whether we don't, whatever it is. I, I think we really need to provide him with what he's asking for. Um, and that final goal, let's talk goal, because uh, Mitoma's first touch was an absolute disgrace. Um, Gomez, I think, was sent for a hot dog again. Uh got him an early taxi right before the final whistle um and the second touch to score the position of his leg and foot and the contact almost feels like you know when you see the magicians you're like a slate of hand and you're like how have they pulled that off in the speed that they are like that's i tell you like i don't know whether he's got like a second thesis on like shooting from absolutely bizarre positions in the works probably what was that for uh, just unbelievable um and well deserved i think based on that final 20 minutes um they you know they arguably could have been down to nine men and at that point i think it's not a given but it's it's very strong strong possibility that we come away with a win against nine men um it felt like just deserts didn't it after all of that i think so yeah um we've we were the ones pushing towards the end and sort of puffed and puffed, if you like, and, and got that that karmic response that we we were talking about. I think, Adam, you were talking about just pace and his one-on-one ability, but it's also his decision-making and his composure that just sets him apart from from pretty much anything else we've seen. Um, we, we used to say on the pod and listening back, you know, Anyone on a one-to-one, you'd probably prefer Trossard over anyone else. I think that is clear that we've we've found that suitable replacement, like for like. And yeah, just he's able to be clinical. He's able to just make the right choice ninety-nine percent of the time, and that's what gets him into these places, and that's what gets him into the goals. Uh, that's what makes him so good. Uh, and to be able to even think about just taking a touch there and hitting it on the outside of your foot sort of (laughs) at your waist level and it's just superb and deserves it obviously because he's he's a game changer and he's our best player right now i'll i'll be honest not just our best player again let's let's get let's go back to what we talked about even before we went live what club doesn't just take this guy right now and plug him straight into their team uh he is uh, uh, on another level than than pretty much anything else out there you saw mo salah today he hasn't been at the races for a long time. If you ask anyone, would you rather right now play Mitoma or Salah in your first team? Outside, remove the names. It's, it, it's our guy. Um, there's there's a couple of just interesting things to point out from the goal as well, outside of the finish, which the humorous part for me was the fact that he never even considered using his, right, his left foot. Uh, three touches all with the right, and the finish was harder with the right foot, even if he's crap with his left. But the other part is, 
Uh, Pascal Gross takes the free kick from the far right of the pitch, spots that Estupinian is for all the, the all the crap we've given Trent Alexander-Arnold. Milner forgot his marking duties completely. And Estupinian was all alone uh, and put that ball in to sort of reverse from the back post back over to Matoma. Um, almost felt like that was a cliche training ground move. Um, but that goal does not happen without gross spotting that Estupinian is able to make a run and peel away and have no one mark him. Estupinian's ball was great to find Matoma at the back post as well and confuse the Liverpool defence. And then there's not really any other players at the moment on the planet that really pull off what Matoma did. So all in all, just superb. Yep. Uh, the the next round draw is tomorrow before the game, not after for anybody interested. Uh, so Derby County and West Ham play tomorrow. Uh, that draw takes place before them, not after them. So don't get ready to see who we're going to get three hours after the draw's gone down. <laughs> Be paying attention uh, and take a look into that because uh, we are into the last 16, I believe. Um, and you know, there's a lot of big clubs already out. Um, I'm not sure what number will be or anything like that. Um, but we are, uh, or maybe Jay in the chat is saying that we are number 14 in the cup. Does anybody know if that's correct? For now, that sounds true enough that I'm going to go with it. <laughs> All right, that works. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like you say, that this is. This is, uh, I can't remember who else I listened to mention this, but we're obviously out of the Carabao um, for the game we don't talk about. We're safe. Um, now, depending on how the Prem plays out, this is, you. I've got eyes on this cup now uh, in a very, very big way. But suddenly this suddenly goes to the top of the, maybe the priority list. Um, but the, the chance of a trophy here at the end of this season... Maybe that's the thing that, that changes the minds of some of the players that, that might be thinking about leaving. Uh, there is a quote that Deserby added on to the end of his press conference, by the way, as we're recording here, where he comes out and says, it's already difficult for me to be a coach. To be a coach and a chairman is too much. And regarding Caicedo, he says, I'd like him to finish the season with us, but we're ready to go forward without him. A little bit more finality there to that statement than what we've seen up until this point. It's clearly pissed some people off. Uh, and it's yep. similar vibes to Lalana Trossard setup, where he just came out, which is like, we'll be all right without him. Go if you want to. We want players that want to be here. Yeah. Uh, let's hope he stays. Um, someone else noted that McAllister is suspended for Bournemouth. Uh, what midfield lineup are we going to put out there? Uh, I think Caicedo starts. I really do. I think I think he'll start if he stays. Um, I think there will be no nonsense. I think Deserby will make it very clear that he is immediately welcome back into the fold uh, and he will be expected to pick up from where he left off and continue to become the midfielder that we know he can be um, and carry us forward. Uh, that's my opinion on it. I think it's probably exactly the same midfield duo that we saw today. It, instead of Gross and McAllister, it would be Gross and Caicedo, I think. Um, and that's... It's, <laughs> Controversial. I think that's a better midfield duo than, than what we saw today. I think that they complement each other a lot more because um, I think Gross is much more capable of playing the Maca role uh, than either of those players are capable of playing the Caicedo role. We just don't have anyone else else like it. So, um, Stephen, hope we get Wrexham if they win. 
Uh, I think they've just kicked off, haven't they, half hour ago? I don't know what the score is there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Wrexham are a horrible banana skin. They kick off in now, like right now. <laughs> uh, Wrexham are a horrible banana skin, Stephen. They have far too much Hollywood fairy tale bullshit behind them for us to really want to play them. You think Charlton pissed you off? Um, that has Charlton 2.0 all over it, and I'm not sure Deserby would ever calm down if we lost that one. Uh, so that would be, that would be a do it at your peril move. Uh, that would be a scary one. And um, we're then the butt of a joke on like their silly little show as well. Like yeah. we don't we don't want that. We'll have a whole episode dedicated to beating us, and that would be that would be too much because I like that show, so I don't really want to have to <laughs> skip an episode. Um, all right. Well, the transfer window closes in two days. Um, let's if we if you have anything else, let's do it. Uh, but if you don't, I say let's wrap and then see if we need to do another one in two days. <laughs> um, and then obviously we'll be back for Bournemouth the following week. Does that sound fair? Because who knows what the hell is going to happen in the next two, 48 hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that sounds sounds about right. We do a fab when there's no news. There's no point, is there? So. I've got another 45 minutes of things I want to dig into quickly. No, yeah, but I do, I do, it is, I think the point that Stephen brought up about Bournemouth is interesting in the sense that we could, I do think Caicedo comes back, but there's a chance you don't have Ferguson after this, depending on the, on the injury. You don't have McAllister and, and, it, and it's weird, but yeah, I, I agree. Let's, let's conclude. And then we'll, if we need to, we can kick off with the oxymoronic emergency podcast because Let's face it, there's, there's never actually been an, a podcast that solves any emergency. But if there's news, we'll, we'll, we'll chat about it. It's a good way to vent, though, isn't it? People it is. Cathartic. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's see what the hell is going to go on in the next two days. Uh, we might be back in two days. We will probably be back in six. I think that Bloom will win this one, as per usual. Um, and I don't think anyone's going to come in with the price he wants. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, so we will be back next week for sure uh, for the Bournemouth game. Uh, keep an eye out on that FA Cup dra- round draw uh, that I noted earlier and keep an eye out for this final 48 hours of the transfer window. Um, it's going to be uh, probably really quiet with loads of noise surrounding it, though. So <laughs> enjoy. Uh, and I think, as Craig said, for those faint of heart, just turn off Twitter for two days for your own sanity, I think. We know you. We know you won't know. We know you're going to just doom scroll away and just every tweet that Fabrizio Romano puts out, everyone's going to be oh god. Uh, but do I, I do think, if, depending on your your view of uh, journalists and everything, Ben Jacobs w- was really good on our episode last week. Like he did bring up also Weston McKinney before anyone like got a hold of saying he was up for a move, um, and he tends to put out information that that isn't quite as. Um, egregious and predictive as Fabrizio Romano does. And between him and David Orn- and Ornstein, uh, and Naylor, I guess, once the you know the player's actually got his video out and the shirt is already printed, that's where you want to get your news from. I don't know. I was reliably informed by someone who followed us on Twitter for every tweet <laughs> yesterday for 48 hours of tweeting at us uh, that Ben Jacobs was a Chelsea employee. Um, yeah, yeah. It was on Bowley's books, yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolute psychopath. <laughs> Social media man, stay off of it because you could end up devolving into like that lad that stalked us on social media yesterday on every single comment. 
uh, some haddock fella. Uh, but yeah, all right. Uh, have a wonderful uh, week. Let's hope for a kind draw, at least. Uh, someone, oh, Wrexham are losing already. So uh, let's hope for a kind draw tomorrow. Let's hope for a kind window the next day. Mm. Uh, and we will speak again soon. Thanks, Cheers everyone. On.